So we're, uh, we're concluding here a, uh, a series, I think we've been in for maybe, uh, I think it's been 10 weeks or so, um, in, in the book of Philippians, uh, and we're, we're reading through and understanding a lot of what uh, Paul is meaning for the church. It's only a few pages in the Bible, it's only, a, I mean, it's a very short letter that he writes, but the truths in this have been so challenging and so rich and so deep, and, uh, and, and before we started this series, I thought, oh, Philippians, that's going to be easy, as I, you know, arrogantly maybe do every every series and then by the end of it i'm thinking man this has wrecked me i am so much better for this having been called out and given given the right substance and the right direction of where where uh, i need to be hopefully this has been a wonderful journey for many of you if you've not been a part of this journey then you're not uh totally missing out we have more of it today um and so today i'm going to be going through um you know this last part this part that we just read here uh, we've got a couple fun, uh, you know, favorite Christian memory verses in here uh, to go over, uh, but we also have um, kind of the, the capper on the end of uh, the, entire, uh, the entire series here. And so I kind of want to uh, keep in mind that we're finishing up this series uh, of, of where we're at in our, in our journey as a, you know, as a church, as a, as a campus, but also um, uh, just give some, I don't know, just give some nice overview that binds it all together as I think Paul is doing here just binds together what is the big idea of what we've been talking about in the book of Philippians. Now, I'm going to use this text that we just read as kind of the, uh, the outline for it, um, but uh, because of the, the load that it's carrying, it's going to be, uh, you know, six points on, uh, on observations from how we live rightly as a church, how we live rightly with Christ as our true joy. Yeah. So uh, what he, what he uh, brings forward here uh, a lot, uh, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write for us, is this big sense of this idea of fellowship. Uh, this big idea, this big sense of a, a thick community, a, a, a strong, uh, the word he uses is koinonia. Um, maybe in the ESV we get a lot of times the word partnership. Uh, this, this idea is, is big. Uh, what it means for us to be together uh, with each other for the long haul, through thick and thin, through, through anything. Um, and I've asked myself a lot this question. Uh, why do we need to be in community? Like, why is the Christian community different in a better way? Like, why is the Christian community needed? And I think that's the big question that, that, that Paul is, uh, is addressing here. One of the big, um, one of the biggest of, 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 of everything that he addresses is that we need the church. We need the community of Christ. Not because we need more churches here that are branding or, or different names and denominations. Not, not that part of it, but... We need the people of God to get together because that is part of the gospel. That is a way that we live out the gospel. More than just saying, it's a way that we are the gospel. And I think that that's a, such a helpful thing is that as I've been reading through Philippians and, and looking to the world around me, uh, it's, been, it's been really insightful to see that, that oftentimes, especially I think in suburbia, I don't want to hate on suburbia, but, but that's where we live, so I want to speak to that and help us today is that oftentimes the, the principles, the virtues, the things that are of suburbia are, are very, uh, very much anti-gospels. We, we, we move ourselves to um, an isolation. We move ourselves to a loneliness. We move ourselves to maybe a, a rat race, uh, to climbing the ladder, to, uh, to advancing uh, our position, our, our, uh, our resumes, our, our CV, our whatever it would be. We, we want to get more degrees. And, and there's, there's something that is wonderful and good in flourishing that happens there but if we're not careful about how to divide the gospel, oftentimes it can push us away from others. It can leave us in isolation. It can, it can make us want, but not know how to express 
those wants. It could make us want to care for others, but not know how to express that care for others. Uh, Our text here today really focuses in on this idea of how do we enter into the giving and receiving of care and concern for one another as Christians, not just as people, but as Christians. Uh, on one, one, one side of the spectrum, you may you know, have this, this direction we're pushed to, which is isolationism. I can do it myself, uh, pick myself up on my own bootstraps. Uh, or you can go on the other side uh, and, and maybe go to this whole idea of, of just, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I contribute nothing. I'm just a product of my community. And so I go to church so that they can just be that for me. And I'm not quite sure what my own faith is, but I know that I'm part of something bigger. And, and, and what Paul says here is so much that Christ is the thing that's going to give us that identity. Christ is going to give us that directive. Christ is going to give us that purpose. He's going to even give us some of the steps and, and the way in which we approach one another there. So a big, you know, a big, uh, a big overview of where we're going with this. And now I'm going to give, uh, you know, just as we walk through this, it's almost verse by verse, uh, a different point that he is making. So these are basically six observations of how a church can pursue Christ, can advance the gospel, can thicken its fellowship with one another and the world around it. So here are six of, six of them. The first one we get here is, uh, uh, the first one we get here is this idea of rejoice in revived concern. I want to read this, uh, this text again here. Uh, verse, verse 10 is where we get this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. One of the things that we get to see through Christ, that that Christians get to live out, an aspect of Christ that we get to embody and and represent is this idea of concern for one another. This is a big deal. This idea of concern is a big deal in Philippians. Uh, there, There are several themes that are huge in the book of Philippians. One of them is rejoicing. That one is said all the time. It's said right here, verse 10. I rejoice that you have revived your concern. And so, so that's wonderful. There's this joy that should mark us as Christians. But also, another word that comes up a lot is this idea of this koinonia, this fellowship, this partnership. So that's there. I've spoken to that, you know, uh, a bit already. But then another word that comes up is the substance of that. So there's this joy that we have in Christ. There's this community that we're called to. But then he gives us this idea of this concern. That's kind of the, the, the active, you know, mortar that binds the whole thing together is this concern. That's how we're all held together. I rejoice now that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Now, as I chased this back and I looked at, you know, what, is, what does Paul mean by concern? Why is this his joy? Why is there concern his joy. I went and looked back at, you know, all the times that he uses the word concern. And it's a really weird term in the book of Philippians. So we've got another slide here that, uh, that has all of the different ways he uses this same word that he uses for concern here. In chapter one, he says, it is right for me to feel, that's the same word, to feel this way about you. In chapter two, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind my personally feel and mind are very different, but for Paul, they're not. Uh, continuing on in verse 2, he says, have this mind among yourselves. Chapter 3, let those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, and then speaking of those who, uh, who, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, he says, chapter 3, verse 19, with minds set on earthly things. In chapter 4, he says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche, co-laborers in the gospel, to agree in the Lord. Feel, mind, 
think, agree. This is a really strange term. This is a really different thing, and it's it's intentional to be that way. There's kind of a poetry into what we're invited to as Christians, to have maybe a, a mindful emotion toward one another, or maybe an emotive thoughtfulness to one another. He blends this idea that I'm not simply thinking about you, I'm also feeling about you. A few weeks ago, he kind of referenced this in, in, in the Spanish terms. Uh, he is not simply sabiendo you, knowing the facts about you, but it's also conociendo, knowing and experiencing the life with you. I know a lot about, uh, uh, about many of you, and there are some of you that experienced a lot more with you. Uh, the people in my community group, I know especially a lot more on the experiential side of things. I think I made a reference to, uh, to uh, Sam Gamgee and Frodo, and they journeyed together, that we can know some things about Sam Gamgee, or uh, about Frodo, but only Samwise Gamgee, who has journeyed the long haul with Frodo, can know him rightly. This is that concern that's there. With, uh, with, with the Philippians. This is that concern that Paul is rejoicing in. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm a missionary. I'm stuck in jail. Send me some money. He's not saying that. He's saying we know each other. We feel we hurt. We, we, we ache. I mean, he even references this guy, Epaphroditus. Uh, back in chapter, uh, chapter 2, he says, this guy is, is, is stressed out. Like, he's, he's hurting for you. He has concern for you. I think too often we go to church that we go home, we do whatever, and our concern for each other maybe wells up on the drive to church again. And it doesn't maybe come back on Monday or even Sunday night or the days later. I, I want to encourage you. I don't want to hit you guys on the hat. I want to hit you with the book here. I, I think that the Spirit can convict you. If you just kind of drop the people of church and aren't thinking and praying and concerning and feeling and checking in with them, we're not doing the koinonia. We're not doing the community that Christ has called us to. We're just organizing and becoming a church. And when we invite people, we're not inviting them so that we can be a part of this wonderful, unique community that, is, that has te- been time-tested and, and, uh, and uh, uh, well, he's going to go on and say, in, in abundance and in lack, that's tested through thick and thin. What we're going to be doing with our invites is just trying to grow our church and our brand, and that is not the gospel we've been given. So embrace this. So what are ways we can do this? I, honestly, I'd encourage you this week, think of someone that you have concern for. Maybe right now, think of someone you have concern for that's in our church. Maybe that's just one of your neighbors. This week, maybe shoot them a text, write them a note, communicate something. You don't have to say like, I have dear concern for you because of Christ. Like, you know, okay, go for it. Uh, but how are you doing? How's this? It's so amazing how meaningful those things can be. And they're very subtle. You don't have to have a Herculean effort to create our community. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's one area that he's speaking to. He says, I rejoice because you guys have this. But then he moves on. He says, you indeed were concerned. You have this. This is wonderful about this church, but you had no opportunity. And then he goes into our next point here. He says, he says, uh, he says not that I am speaking of being in need, so I, I love that. He says, so there was a concern, and you met my concern. You met my need, you know, or whatever. But wait, wait, wait. But I'm not needy. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need for whatever I've learned, uh, for I have learned in whatever uh, situation I am to be content. So our next point here, to rightly understand what it is to be 
uh, the church uh, of Christ is to know that not everything is a need. And this is really helpful. I, I read this, you know, and, and he says that I've learned to be content. And so often I've, I've thought discontentment means that I'm just, you know, in any situation I'm going to say praise God. That's good. And I won't submit requests. My prayers will be more of thanksgiving and less of request. And it will be less of a shopping list that I present to God or my genie. And, and those things, the kind of ways that we talk about it as Christians. Some of that's really good. But I was really concerned because as, as I looked into this a little bit more, really what his contentment is, he, doesn't, he uses this word for contentment only in this verse, and it really means self-sustaining. That I've learned to just do it on my own. Like I can take care of myself. That is so troubling to me because I'm like, this is an anti-gospel. You are not, you know. And, and so what does Paul mean here? He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I think this is so helpful for us because sometimes we, we, we think that to be a Christian or to be maybe in right community, in, to be in a community group means that we have to dump our truck and show that we are so needy and we have so many needs and we need a community. Yes, this is there. But I don't think it's at the cost of understanding that People in this room, I'm looking at you guys. You're all like very smart and capable of taking care of yourselves. You were at least capable enough of getting dressed and coming here. That, I could definitely tell that. The, he can take care of his stuff. He says, you know, he reads on, he says, the school of hard knocks has taught me some stuff. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Paul has told us his resume back in, uh, back in chapter three and he says, I'm really good at doing things. Like I could take care of myself. Sometimes I, I, I feel like our requests as a church, we feel a shame when we need help. Uh, we, we, we feel um, a guilt that we're being a burden to people to share things. And I think Paul kind of challenges this notion here by saying, now let's admit that we can take care of ourselves. You know, I maybe had shared some stuff here uh, last week or, or a couple weeks ago about, you know, a, a situation. Really, I'm, I, the, and, and thank you, so many of you have found the opportunity and expressed that concern for me and followed up. But really, my request isn't so much that I can't take care of this. Like, I have the skills and ability to work through some family stuff. But where is that need? Where is that opportunity? It's that oftentimes working through some family stuff, and maybe you've done this as well. When you work through family stuff, it hits you in the identity. And you really need your family to come around you and, be, and, and say, you know what, Christ has that better identity. That that's not true of you. You know, you're, you're not always going to be in this situation. You're not always going to seem or feel like a failure in this. Maybe this relationship isn't so easy, and maybe it won't resolve, but Christ has made something better there. And I think that's, that's so helpful for me, because Paul says, I got this. I'm in jail. I figured out how to be content in this. I've done this before. And the Philippians would know this, because as he was planting the Philippian church, you can read Acts 16, he was thrown in jail. Actually, the jailer of Paul in Philippi became a Christian and is now receiving this letter as the Philippian church. It's just wild that way, how God works. So they know he's okay. He sings songs in jail. He's, he's, he's content. He can take care of himself here. But he says, but I need to remember that I'm not a failure for being in jail. I need to remember that I can't pay my bills, and so that doesn't mean that I will always be worthless Maybe I tripped over my words and said things that hurt, but that won't always be what marks me as my identity. Maybe my relationships are strained. Maybe I can't find that job I need. Maybe 
this and this and this and however the devil gets his hooks into me. Maybe I just need someone to help me break free of that and press on towards the prize. That is the request that he has there and that is the type of fellowship we need at Parkview. That's the type of fellowship we need in this area. That's the type of fellowship that the world needs and doesn't see too often. And that's unique to Christ and his people. And then we get to this glorious verse here. Verse 13. Verse 13. God strengthens his purposes. Facing plenty. That's it. I've been initiated into this secret mystery of the way of Christ. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. And then he delivers this. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We have done a horrible job with verse 13 uh, as Christians. Uh, we memorize it and we misuse it a lot. So I'm going to, just because I am aware of our, uh, our culture and our context, I will give three things that verse 13 is not saying. Uh, verse 13 is not saying that Christ is our spiritual spinach, uh, that he is, uh, that, that Popeye eats the spinach, he gets those ridiculously large forearms that are just like trucks, and, and he goes and he does anything he wants. I am a Christian, therefore, you know, and let's go. Let's waylay the world. You know, and that's how we take this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We are victorious, and it's a weird victorious. It's my preference conquering the day, and then Jesus will bless it. That's not what it is. Jesus is not our spiritual spinach. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, chapter or verse 13 is also saying he's not our license to kill. This goes even further. Um, and so the license to kill, this is me, big fan of Goldeneye. This is, I didn't know this was a thing until, until uh, James Bond. Uh, so James Bond has the license to kill. He can go, he can do whatever he wants to get the job done, right? He can do whatever he wants, and he knows that there is an organization, there is a man, there is a Jesus, there is a Savior who's going to pay for all the debts that I commit as I go and do whatever I want to do. This is not, this is taking Jesus and saying, all right, Please forgive me for whatever I do. I'm going to go be a jerk now. That's not what it is. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not a license to go do everything. So what is it? One more, because this is fun. Uh, it's not therapy through the ramifications of my sin. I think sometimes we go and we commit sins, and we do sins, and sin naturally has a ripple effect. Like It, it goes out, and sometimes it hits the pool, and comes back, right? It comes back and it hits us. Oftentimes, our sin comes back on us. That's the nature of sin. It feeds on us. And sometimes, we go to Jesus and we say, ah, oh, please, just help me endure this, this pain and suffering. When all the while, we've ignored the Spirit saying, you're sinning, stop this. <laughs> and so as Christians, sometimes we can see that Christ, that we can wrongfully say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can get through this horrible mess that I made because of my sin through him who gives me strength. We need to acknowledge our sin. This is why it's so good that we as a people out loud together say we are sinners. This is why we confess together. It habituates us to understand that we are sinners and we need to recognize first, when I got a problem, what is my sin? What am I bringing to the problem? I need to repent of that. I need to have Christ fill me of what I was going for and I need him to set the way for me. That's a very different approach to that. So now that I've cut away some of those ways in which we interpret that, maybe not even knowing that we do that, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
we then set it rightly into the context here. Paul is in prison. Paul has figured out how to, how to stick it out while in prison. Paul is rejoicing like crazy while in prison. Paul is not able to leave prison at this moment, but sees a great fruit in this. Paul is incredible as a person, but is not able to see the public because he is in prison. Okay, so you hear this prison thing. He is not able to thrive in the way that maybe would be ideal. And he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What has he given me? Maybe I'll say this a different way. God will strengthen me for his good purposes. That's what he means here. God will strengthen me for his good purposes. I can see that the gospel is going out. This is Philippians 1. The gospel is going out. It's advancing because he strengthened me enough to help it advance. And even where my strength runs out, he continues that advance by strengthening others like you, Philippi, to carry this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I'm going to do a recap of the strength that is there through the triune God in Philippians. I can press on toward the goal. This is chapter 3. Because Christ will bring about the prize. That is in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 21. He says the prize is my resurrection, my glorification. I can work out my salvation in fear and trembling this is chapter 2, because God has, is, and will continue to work within me. I can work out the energy that God is working within me. We talked about this. He is strengthening me this way, and he is doing this for his good pleasure. It actually says it there in chapter 2, for his good pleasure. I can labor side by side in the gospel together with, with uh, Yodia, with Syntyche, with all these other people, because the Spirit unifies our minds in Christ Jesus. And this is in like every single chapter. I can rejoice in all things because of the good news. And the good news being, as he has expressed it here in Philippians, that my all-powerful, all-loving, triune God calls me to holiness, forgives my waywardness, and gives me righteousness through faith. This is that good news. I can rejoice in these things. This is what he's strengthening us for. But it's not simply the conversion, that, that once we understand this, then hey, we can rejoice because God has a purpose. He has a direction for his people, that the good news be fully proclaimed, that all might hear it. Paul writes to Timothy, who he references here in, in, in Philippians, but he writes to Timothy a letter, and he says this in 2 Timothy four seventeen, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that, so here's the purpose of his strengthening, he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Why are we strengthened as Christians? Not to Popeye, not to James Bond, not to therapy ourselves. We are strengthened to fully proclaim the gospel to those around us. And it may seem like sometimes we don't have that strength. It may seem like we're at our wit's end, but he strengthens us even so. And so Paul does this wonderful thing. He says so much here by just saying, hey, thanks guys for your partnership in the gospel. He says, I can do all of this through, through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Thanks for joining me in this. So then we get to this other, this other half. You know, this first half, maybe he's saying, this is why I rejoice. 
But now he, he, he then turns and he gives three more you know, uh, reasons or observations of, of, of a good, healthy church. And he says maybe enter into the reciprocal relationship that is here, uh, to the giving and receiving with each other. So uh, maybe what is this, point four? God strengthens and purposes for his own good. Take the opportunity to show concern. This is verse 15. He says, in you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with, with me in giving and receiving except you only. I just want to highlight something in here. I've already referenced that Paul was a church planner in Philippi. This is when he went over from Macedonia, planning a church, and as they began that, they jumped in and they said, hey, let's do this. He went to jail. They said, hey, let's do this even more. One of the jailers joined him and continued to do this. So that's the recap of kind of the wording and the history behind that. But I really want to pull out this phrase here. He said, entered into a partnership, that's the koinonia, that's the community, with me in giving and receiving. There's a lot of language at Parkview about share God's gifts. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that language is very good and accurate uh, because, it is, uh, because it's not uh, give God's gifts. Um, it's share. It's this idea of giving and receiving. In a commentary, uh, in his commentary, John Calvin uh, speaks of this. He, he, he talks about it as a, um, as a mutual compensation, that, that there is a receiving even in giving. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's abstract. When, when you're helping someone, there's, there's a reward in itself of helping a brother or sister. I think sometimes I've, I've, I've tried to help someone and coach someone, but really I'm just giving them me and not Christ giving them my answers and not the way of Christ, not pointing them to his truths, not praying for them, just trying to muscle it out and saying, hey, this is a horrible situation. Just whatever, forget that person, go away. That's not the way of Christ. And I find that it's so lacking. It's so unrewarding. It's so, so unhelpful. I think he's speaking a little bit to that, that there's this giving and receiving that happens when, when, when you contribute to something. So share God's gifts, of course. You know, it, it's, it's, it's that giving and receiving that happens there. You know, and I will even speak to this because it, it dances so very closely to this. He's talking about physical things, physical gifts that have been given there. When we give our offering in the plate, this is part of that giving and receiving. And, and the reason, honestly, why we pass the plates here uh, in, 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 in this room is, is because it gives us a physical reminder so that when we pass these plates, we can say thank you, God, for what you have given as we are giving. As we, I thank you for what I, am, I have received, maybe even unconsciously because I direct debited my you know, giving or I direct debited my payroll. And it kind of, the exchange of, of the money isn't there so much. I want to mindfully, physically remember you are abundantly supplying. Thank you for that, even as I give. Uh, when we give of our time with one another, I think that we can understand that there is a giving and receiving, that it takes more than one person to give in order for us to have the thing called togetherness. It took a lot of you to come together to create this. We can't create this. This, this morning, this moment won't ever be the same because it'll have some different people. It'll be a different you know, climate out there and, and we'll come with different experiences and different knowledge and, and, and things will be different. This is unique here. And this is a gift in this. There's a giving and receiving that happens uh, in that. I think sometimes we, we think when we read Scripture, when we help uh, uh, people, that uh, maybe if we come from a really traditional background, that it's the priest who, who, who can give and we receive. Uh, or maybe if we come from a really low church, a consumeristic kind of a way, that it's that really charismatic, educated, super awesome pastor who can interpret and divvy out this stuff. And I just don't have any idea how this was in here. What? what we can get together and we can, we can learn these things together. We can give and receive in a very meaningful way other than just, there, there, buddy, 
It's a rough week. Go get them. Have fun at work. We'll see you next week. There's something more that they've entered into here than just that. Um, so this is maybe what we call God's economy. Um, uh, down, if you've ever uh, gone down to the Iowa City Children's Museum, there's a room in the Children's Museum uh, that is um, that's the grocery store. Okay, so the grocery store, uh, if you've never been there, that's okay. So imagine a grocery store for kids, okay? Boom, you got it. Uh, so they've got the little shopping carts, and they've got, you know, all the plastic, you know, foods, and then all the, like, super... Uh, laminated, taped up, you know, boxes of cereal and that kind of stuff because it gets used like all the time. We got a million kids and a million people in there. It's chaos in there. Uh, it's like a mosh pit and we're playing grocery. Um, and, uh, but then there's, you know, money that gets exchanged and there are, you know, ways to check out stuff and it's kind of cool. Um, uh, it's really cool. Uh, that's what's happening. None of the foods, none of the money, none of the space belongs to anyone that's ever a participant of that. We're all just kind of invited in there, and we do this exchange that happens in there. And what's the point of that? The point is that our kids maybe have a little bit of fun, but really the point that they're going for there is that our kids learn appropriateness in a grocery store, responsibility with buying things, addition, subtraction. We're learning character. We're looking, learning virtues and etiquette. We're learning competencies and skills. We're, we're learning these things together. Okay, now I'm going to zoom out. That's like a real grocery store. That's like real life. That's like what we do every day. None of that belongs to us, just as none of it belongs to the kids in the children's museum. God gifts us these things in the giving and receiving. Not that I'm writing a big fat check, but that there's a giving and receiving and there is a virtue, there is a formation, there is something that happens within the giving and receiving of money. There is something that happens in the giving of receiving of each other's presence together. There's something that happens in the giving and receiving of care, of prayer, of a listening ear with one another. And that forms us to something more of the way of Christ, a very thick fellowship, a very strong, deep community, a very intricately woven tapestry that we can all be a part of. And that is uniquely Christian. That is unique to Jesus Christ because that is an embodiment of who he is. And that's how we can see him in this world around us. So uh, that was, uh, that was a, um, a point. Take the opportunity to show this concern through giving and receiving. Uh, where are we at? Point five. Um, not all gifts are measurable. So just as, uh, just as Paul has said here in verse uh, 11, he says, hey, I rejoice because you have this concern for me. And then, and then as a good teacher says, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So also he's going to do that here. He says, and you have taken this opportunity, verse, uh, where are we at? Um, verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. So he's, he's kind of hitting the brakes there. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's not just talking about need. He's not raising X amount of dollars for a campaign. He's not asking for this many people to come to this service project. He's not asking for those kind of things, those measurable things. Those are good and we need those. I don't want to say like, ah, don't give and we need this amount of money and budgets are bad. No, those are necessary. It's part of what we do. Paul's more focused on the fruit that comes from it. And maybe we would do better with our budgeting. Maybe we would do better with budgeting our time, with our schedules, with our money, with, 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 our, with our words. 
if we would look more at the immeasurable things that should be measured. Does that make sense? That's really abstract. Um, let, me, let me go this way. What if the American church measured fruit like Paul does? I mean, what he said here is, I'm not, I'm not so concerned about this or that item, but rather the fruit that is shown by what you have done here. What if the American church measured things like um, hospitality? Like there's one. How do we measure how hospitable we are? You feel that. Uh, what if we measured things like an increasing delight for God's word? If we, if we uh, measured things like a fellowship and how thick or strong or deep it is, we measured unity, if we measured our concern for one another. And maybe rather than just like putting the American church up there who maybe doesn't do this so well, what if we put our own families there? Or what if we put our own selves there? Maybe just pick one of those. Hospitality, a delight for God's word, a fellowship, a unity, a concern. Maybe pick one of those and then figure out how you might increase that in an immeasurable way, if that makes sense. He's calling us to something that, that is really hard to just crank out. He's calling us into a way of being. And for me, honestly, this is, this is a big reason why I am so a big proponent of the gathered church. Uh, not because I'm paid to, because I'm a pastor. That's not it uh, at all. Uh, it's not, I don't have an agenda with that and building an organization. I think that the church is one of the last places. I mean, I think about this all the time. I think it's one of the last places that we have in our culture today where this kind of immeasurable fruit can be cultivated and named and pursued. We can, we can, we can mindfully think about it. Right now, we're using our brains a lot to think about this stuff. But that's not it alone. We feel this stuff as well. Maybe our songs get us there, but also just the sense. And when we go away and we remember what just happened here and reflect on their feelings, their people we see. I see it when people walk through the door and they hug each other. There's a feeling that's happening here in this. This is one of the last places that we have. This is a way through which God breaks into the world and advances the kingdom. And this is kind of our rally station for it. And as a rally station for it, we need to know that we are strengthened for the mission, but we are also supplied for the mission. This is where Paul turns to the final verses here. Um, verse 19. He says, you, you, I've been well supplied because of this rich fellowship we have uh, in Christ Jesus, unique to Christ as an expression of Christ's welcoming, loving presence. Verse 19, he says, and have hope because my God will supply every need of yours. You are strengthened for the task that he puts you on, but you are also supplied for whatever need you have according to his good purposes. He says, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All I'm going to do is not over-explain this. I'm just going to read it very slowly for you. He will supply every need of yours. How does he supply every need of yours? Not just however you ask. He's going to supply it according to his riches. So he decides how to supply and he's going to do it accordingly, and he has an abundant resource of the right supply. And how else does he do that? He supplies you according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus Christ. The whole thing is about the fact that we are sinners who need a Savior. No matter where you come from, 
no matter what your background is, no matter how awesome you are, no matter how wicked you are, no matter how, how worthless you feel, Christ is the answer. Christ is the one through whom you have righteousness and you can have access to the Father. So as you have that access, live it out joyfully, speaking of it to one another as we join in on this mission together. Let's pray.